How are y'all doing? What an exciting, exciting. See, y'all had some New Year's resolutions. You're like, I'm going to go to church. Like all of y'all thought the same thing. I'm going to go to second service at church. So uh, welcome. Um, I was telling them in the sound booth, if there's a fire, we're not all going to make it out of here. <laughs> so push down the smaller people so you can get out. Please don't do that. Welcome. Uh, if you're visiting today, welcome. We, uh, we, I'm going to show you later, but we have fun all the time. Uh, today's our first day of three services. Woo! Uh, we have a, a, there's a, a couple of baptisms after our um, afternoon service. So if you want to stay, we do that in the river. Um, if you want to come back, uh, it'll probably be about two o'clock, you think? Two? Who knows? I don't know. It'll be after the next one. So, um, also, if uh, this is your church and you want to invite people, invite them to come to the afternoon service, which starts at 1230. Don't invite people to 1030. <laughs> There's a reason. If you look around, you can tell. Um, so uh, for those of you that don't know, we do a little culture update. Where I talk about the news and offend as many people as I can so that the crowd doesn't grow too big. So um, a, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how um, I believe we're in civil war right now. Um, that civil war won't look like it did in the 1860s when America was in civil war. Civil war will look way different. Civil war will be where there's two sides of our country that are um, opposed to each other, and they hate each other, and they hate what the other side stands for. Um, does that sound like our country at all? That's, that's what I see whenever I, I look. And so um, you can agree or disagree. It's fine. Actually, I prefer you disagree with me. So... Another thing that happened this week is um, there were some court documents that were uh, that were re starting to be released, and that's the Epstein uh, Island documents were started to get released. And um, if th those of you that follow along with that kind of stuff, you weren't surprised yet. Like maybe at some point we'll be surprised, um, but so far there's been nothing surprising. Uh, what I think is funny is the media really wanted Trump to be the problem. And he's not on there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny to me. So, but what I really want to say with the culture, there's nothing new under the sun. And we still have a generation to save. We still have work to do. We have a mission that our church is on that we are trying to draw people to Jesus. And that's not going to change no matter what happens in culture. 2024, look, we're 11 months away, theoretically, from a presidential election. If that happens, um, and I know there's probably 50% of the room doesn't think there's going to be an election, but it's okay. Like we're still, Jesus is going to be on the throne at the end of this year. I promise he's still going to be there. So we're just going to worship him and uh, we're going to do everything we can to obey what he's called us to do. Right? Okay. Some of y'all are with me. Cool. So um, what I like to do at the beginning of every year is I like to talk about our our core values and what are the things what we started this church um, in 2020 in January of 2020 right before see I can just say right before and you know exactly what I'm talking about it was right before and uh, and it's a good time to start a, a place where people gather in groups it was perfect timing um, but the Lord knew what he was doing so before we started the church we we were thinking what are the things we're gonna be about like what are churches, um, what are the things that, that most churches do? And then what are the things that Life Church New Braunfels is going to be about? So um, over the next few weeks, actually, I have to warn you, I rarely, rarely talk about tithing, especially as like 
the, the whole sermon is about tithing. Next week, I'm going to talk about tithing. Maybe it's something you've struggled with and you're not really sure where you stand. Or maybe it's something that you've, you've started doing and then you stop doing. Um, come next week. But the reason I'm warning you is because you know how sometimes you're like, you want to invite your friend that's like you that hates church because all they talk about is money and you're so afraid that that week the pastor's going to talk about tithing next week i'm going to talk about tithing so maybe that's the best time to bring your friend i don't know but um in two weeks is our uh the church's four-year birthday we're going to be four so exciting and also it's um it's our annual meeting where we talk about uh all of like basically what we did, how we spent all the money last year and uh, the things that were accomplished last year and then kind of what we're going to do going forward. So we'll see what that means. I, I mean, I honestly don't know what I'm going to talk about in two weeks. That's a long time. But we do vote. You, uh, Many of you got papers when you came in. Of, of uh, They should be at the doors, if not, of our new council nominees. Um, we have a church council and that church council oversees the the finances and other things as well. Um, but in, we're going to be voting on that day. So if you are a member and you can't be here that day and you're like, um, I can't be here that day, please get an absentee ballot at the, uh, <laughs> at the back there. We really do. Don't mail it in, guys. <laughs> if you mail it in, I'm going to throw it straight in the trash can, okay? You have to fill that out and hand it to us, okay? That's the first thing I need to tell you. The second thing is, um, if you come in three weeks, we're, vo we're voting in two weeks, if you come in three weeks and you're like, hey, sorry, I wasn't able to get my ballot in, I'm going to be like, cool, this ain't Pennsylvania, bruh. <laughs> like, you you have to turn it in in before two weeks or on that day. We have an election day, not an election week or month or year or however you want. But w so if you want your vote to count, you have to be a member, um, so or a citizen. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, you have to be a member. So if if you, maybe you've been coming to this church, look, we had some people this week, last weekend, come. They've been coming here for years, and they were like, "Hey, we're going to become members." And I was like, "Hey, I thought you already were." And so uh, the way you become a member is you fill out this card, and then there's this rigorous interview process. Um, I'm just kidding. We don't even ask you anything. We just fill out the card and you're a member. So um, th in order for you to vote, you have to do that. Um, or in order for your vote to count, anybody can vote, I guess. But um, if you want your vote to count, then become a member. If if you've been considering becoming a member of the church, now's the time. Fill out the card and become a member. Um, and uh, that's all for that. So let's talk about most churches will say, um, come as you are. You know, churches, you, you, when you're looking for a church and you and you look at the things like, what is this church about? They say, come as you are. Really, what churches mean when they say come as you are is come as we are. Have you ever been to a church and nobody talked to you? That, it wasn't this one. I promise you that. Because, uh, like, you're asking people to not talk to you when you come here. Um, so uh, I've been to a church. I remember visiting a church. It was a really big church. And I, at the time I had a mohawk and I had like ripped up jeans and I, and I knew this church wasn't for me, but I was visiting because I wanted to see what they were about. And so I visited this church and they, no one talked to me, like no one, even at the part 
of the time. And I sat in a very conspicuous place so that people could see me. And, uh, and they said, all right, everybody, get up, find somebody you don't know and greet them. And I'm like sitting there, I'm like standing like, yes, no one talked to me. I'm very intimidating, okay? I mean, <laughs> come on. I mean, you can see. But when they say come as you are, really they mean come as, as, as we are. Like, come, if you look like us coming, that's, I'm going to say this again, but that's not how we are. I mean, look around the room. There's all kinds. There's some weirdos in here, okay? <laughs> and if you're like, where? <laughs> it's you. <laughs> if you can't find a weirdo, it's you. Okay, so churches, we exist for the community. We're family-focused, timely, biblical message, live worship. Wow, all these things in one place. So whenever we thought in January 2020, what are the things that are going to make us different? What is going to differentiate us from churches in general? Like, what, what is it that, that we feel like God is calling us specifically to do? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a few of these. It's not all of them, but a few of these. And I want you to tell me if you think we are um, succeeding at this core value. If when you think of church, this is one of the, some of the things you think of. So the first thing, and this is really first in our list, okay? Like, I, I, when we went to plant a church, they were like, hey, it's terrible. Okay. Like, it's like they try to talk you out of it the whole time. People are going to stab you in the back. People are going to hate you. People are going to turn their back on you. They're going to like, it's, it's a long and lonely and terrible road. And it's very, very difficult. Yeah. It's been some of that stuff, but it's been fun. Like this is the most fun thing I've ever done in my entire life. It has been so much fun because I got to meet y'all. Y'all are so fake. <laughs> yeah, nobody believes that. Okay, so uh, another core value is every member is a minister. And I don't just mean volunteering for the kids department. Also, we would like it if you would volunteer for the kids department. So um, every member is a minister. If it, It's your ministry. We're here. The church is here to, to help you to succeed in the ministry that you feel called to. So if there's something on your heart that you want to do that the church is not currently doing, then we'll come alongside of you and we'll help you. We'll do our best to, to aid you in doing that ministry. We had somebody come to us and say, hey, we want to do a car show for the people in that, in that area. And so in that, in that kind of uh, culture. And so we want to do a car. So we got, we made coffee, we got donuts, we, we came, we printed flyers, we did all this stuff. So that, and then it rained. It's like so lame. So I think we're going to have some more car shows this year. So it's really awesome. But we come there and the city council, man, we, y'all should have saw us. We all went to the city council meeting. They were like, what is happening? Like they had to have another room because there were so many people. Anyway, so we will come alongside of your ministry. That's what we're about. Every member is a minister. Another thing is love people where they are, not where we want them to be, not once they get perfect, not once they figure out their life and they say, okay, now I can go to church because now I look good and I'm clean and I'm, I don't have any more sin. Now I can get, no, the church is an army hospital. Uh, the church is a place for sick people. You would never go to a hospital and say, I can't go in there. There's sick people in there. It's like, yeah, there's sick people in there. Like, and, and that's where you go to get not sick. So when sinners walk into church, it's like, I can't go to that church. There's sinners there. Yeah, come on. There's room for one more. 
year year one. So just come in, get plugged in. We serve whoever shows up, and we work for redemption in all things for all people. Because if you still have breath, God is not done with you yet, right? So another thing is biblical discipleship is what we're about speaking of. Um, when you think of discipleship, if you've ever been in a in a discipleship group, and that meant you meet together for one hour a week and you read over some Bible verses. That, that's great. Bible study is great, and you should do Bible study with other people. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is when you're doing life with each other, where you're for the good, the bad, and the uh, 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 ugly. All capital U's on ugly, because y'all know how life really is. And that's what discipleship is. We do this thing where we have life groups, and you can get plugged into a life group. If you are not, if you've not been part of that before, please ask somebody who is, and they will tell you how fantastic it has been. So join a life group. If you don't, if you're like, I don't like any of those people that lead life groups, first of all, check yourself. And then secondly, I'll lead you in a life group if you really want one that's bad. So it, I'll, we will do a Tuesday, 2 a.m. life group if that's the only time you can meet. And, and I would love to have a shot at you at 2 a.m. on Tuesdays. So um, sign up. We're starting at the last, the last week of the month. We do uh, sermon-based discussions. So um, what's cool about that is if you miss one or two, you can just jump right in. You, you, you're not behind as long as you hear the sermon again. So we have a podcast too. So um, it's sign up, start next Sunday. Be ready. All right. So biblical discipleship. Another thing that's a core value of ours is that we are wholly owned by the Lord. There's no part of your life that still belongs to you. It belongs to him. He purchased every bit of you on the cross. And so you completely and totally belong to him. Amen. Today's core value that I want to talk to you about is serving. Now, I have to warn you, you have not heard a message like you're about to hear ever. Um, and I'm not saying it's because I'm so great. I am, but that's, this is not because like, it has nothing to do with what I'm about to preach. Okay. Y you haven't heard, um, you haven't heard serving from this, this angle before. I promise you. Um, it's different than most churches teach. It's different than most leaders teach. And so what I want to get you to do is I want to get you to shift your paradigm on what it means to serve and to give yourself in serving. Um, it, it's, it's a core value of mine. It's a, the biblical basis on why I serve the way I do and why I give myself freely the way I do. And, uh, and, and I want you to, uh, Life Church really isn't a church for people who are, who are looking to be served and not looking to serve. Um, you can come here when you, when people initially come here, you're, you're looking for, you know, how can this benefit me and my family? completely understandable. But if you continue to come here, you're not going to keep feeling like that. You're going to feel like, how can I give? How can I serve? How can I, I give myself away? And I want to kind of, um, kind of show you how our mind shifts in that process. So who was the greatest servant of all time? Jesus, first service was terrible on that one. Just so you know, y'all nailed it. Like first, they were like, like they were like, they were scared. So I capitalized servant just to give you a little tip. 
So Jesus was the greatest servant of all time, obviously. Paul was the second greatest servant of all time. Whenever we look at this guy named Paul, the guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Um, he has every kind of accolade you could possibly have. Look, Paul wrote this letter to this church in, in a city called Corinth. And in that letter that he wrote, this church was a whack church. They were like messed up people. Kind of like, kind of like y'all. Um, but they were, but, but worse. Like, trust me, they were worse. And so he wrote this letter to them. And in that letter, he said, this then is how you ought to regard us. When he says us, he's talking about himself and Apollos. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up by being a follower of one of us over the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? Paul was one of the, the six or seven most influential leaders in all of history. Paul was this guy of incredible stature, and absolutely nothing fazed him. That You think of people that, that are at the top, and the leaders in the world was like, they never really had it bad. They never really had to fight for what they have. Everything was handed to them. Look at Paul's life. Whatever anyone else, look, first of all, let me, before I read this to you, Paul is, one of the reasons he's one of my favorites is because he has the spiritual gift, a very similar spiritual gift that I have, the gift of sarcasm. It's holy, okay? Watch, you'll see it. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm, I'm speaking as a fool. It's sarcastic. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind talking like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, pelted with stones. I was reading this verse one time to the youth. And I said, and I, went, and I was stoned. And, and one of the kids is like, amen. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have got often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak 
and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. Look, Paul was, he had overcome a lot. He was someone who could say, look, you think you have it bad? I have it worse. And it was legit. Like, you think you, you think you know what you're talking about? Look, I have all the training. Like, I know what I'm talking about. And he said, he was a leader in the absolute highest sense. And he wrote this letter to his protege, Timothy, who was much younger. And he said this to Timothy. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that, deler- that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Look, he didn't say, I used to be one of the worst before I knew Jesus. And now I'm, I, I got it. I figured it out. He's like, I am the worst because I know all these things. I have all this training. I have all this knowledge and I still struggle in my flesh. I should know better. Paul, we don't have a reference point for a leader that is just so openly confident and, and honest in his self-assessment who volunteers the opinion that he is, look, I'm one of the worst people. And you know why we struggle with that? It's because um, we are judging ourselves. We judge ourselves. And we say, look, I'm just not good enough. I'm just, I'm just not. I just don't, like other people are better than me. So why could, like somebody else can do that and they could probably do it better. So we're judging ourselves. Paul refused to do that. To think that other people were better than him or he was better than other people. He's like, I I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. He knows about his sins and he knows about his success, but he does not connect those things with his identity. He knows how bad he can be and he knows how good he can be. He knows the things he's accomplished, and he knows where he's messed up, but he does not connect those things with his identity. He finds his identity somewhere else. Although he knows himself to be the chief of sinners, he's not going to allow that to stop him from doing the things that he was called to do. What would happen if you did that? What would happen if you stopped buying the lies that you tell yourself? What would happen if you stopped buying the lies that that the culture is telling you about you? We could not possibly be more different than Paul. If I think of myself as a bad person, then I will condemn myself and I will say, look, I can't do that. Like, I just, I can't do that. We don't, most of us, there's some of us, but most of us don't suffer with overconfidence. We suffer with underconfidence. We suffer with, man, I'm just not good enough. I know that I'm not good enough. And we, and we are, we're judging ourselves. And by judging ourselves, I mean, we're condemning ourselves. We set our standard and our standard should be Jesus, right? So we set our, set our standard as Jesus. I'm going to be like Jesus. And then we look at how we actually live and we realize I'm not that good. Like I continue to keep failing. And Paul says, look, here's the, here's the answer to that. Just chill, bro. Like I, I, I don't care what, I don't care what you think about me, but it's okay because I don't really care what I think about me. What if, what if you looked around and you, and you stopped with the people pleasing? You know, if you want to see something cool, if everyone in the room is honest, if you can just be honest for one question, raise your hand if you sometimes struggle 
with people pleasing. It's everyone. See, what's funny is you think it's just you. Even though everyone just raised their hand, you still think, ah, you know what? I just struggle with people pleasing. Yeah, you and everyone. Everyone struggles with that. Paul is bringing us into this new territory where it's like, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what I think about me because that's not really ultimately what matters. His ego is not puffed up. His ego is not filled up with hot air. Ego is this idea of self, this flesh. In our minds, what we think about ourselves, that's our ego. And, he's, and his ego was not inflated with this, this fake idea of who he, who he is. He's talking about humility. I don't like to use the word humility because whenever we think of humility, we don't really have the, the right kind of humility that Paul's talking about because it's like whenever we think of parts of our body, you, you only think of the parts of your body that hurt, right? You don't think of your ego until it hurts. You don't think of your, uh, recently, y'all know I never, ever, 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 ever get sick. I had strep throat. Strep is the worst. I never took, I can't tell you how I have taken for granted swallowing a spoonful of water and not going like this because it hurts so bad. And maybe I'm a big baby. It's possible. I just never get sick. So now when I swallow, I'm like, thank you. You know, you don't think of your toes until you smash one of your toes and then that's all you think about, right? Like it's just, it's constant, it's constant. And Paul was, Paul talked about that being humility. Paul's saying that he has reached a place where his ego draws no more attention than any other part. His ego and his pinky toe, same thing. Like you think about, he thinks about them just as often. You only think about your ego when it gets hurt. And then if you're, if you're someone who is trying to be like Christ and your ego is hurt, you realize that your ego is part of your flesh and that part needs to die. So if your ego is hurt, you need to figure out, well, why, why did that hurt my feelings? Feelings are part of your, your ego and feelings are part of your flesh and that part needs to be crucified. So he says whether it's good or whether it's bad, but whether uh, not judging and not condemning because those things are not his identity. He had gospel humility. C.S. Lewis talks about gospel humility. He says, if we were to meet a truly humble person, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. A gospel humble person is someone who's not thinking about themselves. They're not thinking more of themselves. They're not thinking less of themselves. They're just thinking of themselves less. Like, I don't think of, I, I don't, I, I don't have to think about that I'm so great. I don't have to think that I'm terrible. I just, how about if I just think about you instead? What would happen if we were others focused? What does it mean to be, to think of myself less? Like Paul had this same attitude and he wrote this other letter to the church in Philippi. And he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Consider others better than yourselves. Now, real quick, look around the room. Do you think that everyone in here is better than you? Don't, don't answer out loud. 
They're like, no, I'm looking at someone. I know I'm better than them. I've said this many times, but only one of you is the worst person in the room. All the rest of you are better than that one person. I don't know who it is. You may think it's you. It's probably me. I'm like Paul, the worst sinner. Whenever he, whenever he says, consider other people better than you, he doesn't say everyone's better than you, but consider them better than you. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself. You don't need to protect yourself. Let the Lord do that. You don't need to guard your interests. Let the Lord do that. You don't need to, to be so focused on yourself that you're like, How, what am I going to get out of this? It, you don't need to. Every connection, every experience, every single conversation has to be about you and your identity, you finding identity. Like at church, you know, when you meet someone new, you're supposed to ask them questions about themselves. And the whole time they're talking about themselves, you're like, okay, well, how can I connect this? Because I'm trying to make them feel welcome. No, you're trying to make yourself feel connected. You're trying to make yourself feel better. C.S. Lewis said, if you walk away from someone that truly is gospel humble, the, the thing you would think about is, man, they really cared about me. What if you were, when you met someone, you truly were interested in them and not, hey, Larry, can you turn the air to something not polar? <laughs> Sorry, I was waiting on you to walk back in. I Are y'all cold too? I am freezing cold. Hey, if you're listening on the podcast, we're all cold in here. I know some of y'all listen from like New York. I know it's cold there, but it's colder in here. Whenever you're having a conversation with someone, look, I can prove to you you're this way. Whenever you're, there's a picture and you're in that picture, what's the first thing you look at? It's you. And then you keep looking at you. Like you're like, why, why do I have one eye closed? Like, why do I look like that? How I, like I said this earlier, but um, like the camera adds 10 pounds. You're like, I'm, look how thick I am. Like the camera adds 10 pounds. I don't know how many cameras you ate, but the camera adds 10 pounds. Okay. That's funny, okay? <laughs> True gospel humility means an ego that is not puffed up, but it's filled up. There's a difference in puffed up and filled up. You puff up a balloon, but if you fill up a water balloon, damage can be done. It's not about high self-esteem or low self-esteem. I don't care about your opinion about me, but I don't care about my opinion of me either. Like, it's not about that. It's not a self-hating person or a self-loving person. It's a self-forgetful person. Like, oh, I forgot to, I forgot to, t to take care of me. Like, I was so busy serving, I forgot to take care of me. And you know what's cool? When you serve with a group of people that are self-forgetful, they serve you. You don't have to worry about yourself because somebody else will serve you. You worry about them. You be others-focused. And that's what Life Church is about. Serving others, giving your life for others. So when Paul says he's a self-forgetful person, it's about like his ego is like his toes. Like just they don't even, it's not even a consideration. They just work and they don't draw attention to, to themselves. A self-forgetful person would never be hurt by criticism. 
like you. You ever hurt by criticism? Yes. I don't know if you know this, but pastors get criticism every single minute of our lives. Y'all love to bash us. I don't care. I don't care what you think of me. You know why? Because I don't even care what I think of me. So take that. When someone whose ego is not puffed up but built up gets criticism, that does not devastate them because they listen to it and they see it as an opportunity for change. I can tell you in my life, the best criticism and the most constructive and helpful criticism that I've ever received, I have received from children. Because kids don't care about your feelings. They say whatever they think. And let me tell you this, this might hurt some of y'all. The worst human beings on the planet are junior high girls. I love you. I love them, but this is why they're the worst. It is because they can very quickly find out the thing that you are most insecure about in the whole world, and they will point that thing out. One time I was preaching, and we had these youth, and there was this junior high girl sitting in the front, and she's like, and I was like, hey, girls, quit talking. And one of the girls says, why is your nose so big? And I'm like, is my nose like I, I didn't think about anything else that day except for how big is my nose? Is it, is it, that's not that big. <laughs> criticism, no matter where it comes from, and I'm telling you the best place for that criticism is from the most unlikely sources. It's not necessarily from that leader or your mentor, but a lot of times it's from someone that you have zero respect for. And God uses those people to teach you something about yourself. And when you hear that criticism, you listen to it. You don't dismiss it no matter what the source is. You don't dismiss it until the Lord tells you to dismiss it. And you take it in. You say, Lord, is this true about me? I, I, and this is genuinely true. I get criticism all the time and I'm okay with it. I'm not, I'm very confident in who the Lord has told me to be and what the Lord has told me to do. I'm very confident in it. So when you criticize me, I say, thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Shut up and go away. And I say, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And then I, I ask the Lord, Lord, is this, are you speaking to me through this? And if not, dismiss. And that's done. It's over with. I can throw it away because the Lord wasn't speaking to me. That was a person. And it's fine. It doesn't damage my ego because I don't care what you think about me. I don't even care what I think about me. I want to see myself in a mirror and not admire what I see or cringe at what I see. You can be on both sides of that. I can be on both sides of that in the same day. I don't want to admire what I see or cringe at what I see. I want to be free of my imaginary life. Listen to that. The things that I will believe about myself are the lies that I tell myself. The things that I believe about myself are the lies that, that the culture says about me or the lies that my family says about me or the lies that my friends say about me or the lies that my boss says about me or the, that can be uh, the lies that your spouse the worst i say the worst for last the lies your spouse says about you those they 
I just want to be free from my imaginary life of patting myself on the back when I do something good and then beating myself up when I fail. How do we get there? It's simple to understand how to get there. It's not simple to do. How do we get to the place where we say, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what I think of me. It's because if we can get to the place where I'm not looking for to other people for the verdict, the final verdict on who I am and the final verdict on my identity, and I don't look to myself for the final verdict of my identity. Paul says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. Whenever he says it doesn't make me innocent, it doesn't justify me. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean I'm justified. Paul's saying that even if his conscience is clear, it doesn't mean that he's right. So we can't look to ourselves for what is right. We can't trust ourselves for what is right. The problem with self-esteem is whether it's high or it's low. Every day, if we're living by our self-esteem, high or low, we're in the courtroom and we're trying to present evidence and we're looking for a verdict that that is the way that everyone's identity works for the prosecution or the defense. A lot of times we're, we're presenting evidence for the prosecution or presenting evidence for the defense. Some days we're nailing it. I can tell you this, every single day, whenever I go to lay down to go to sleep, I analyze three parts of my life, spiritual, physical, and then mental or relational. How did I do today in my spiritual life? How did I do today in my, in my physical? Did I work out? Did I eat right? No, I didn't eat right. Did I, and how was I relationally? Did I, did I get those right? And then I will condemn myself at the end of the day man, you should not have eaten that seventh slice of pizza. Seven slices. And then I will, I will condemn myself. Or if I get it right, I'm like, you did good today, boy. Nailed it. Paul says that he has found the secret. The trial is over for Paul. He's no longer on trial. He's not looking for a verdict. The trial is over looking out at other people, they can't justify him. Looking at himself, he can't justify himself. He says, it is the Lord who judges me. It's about what the Lord says about me. Now, I want to be really clear. There are people in our culture who say, hey, you should not judge. Okay, sure. Every one of you judges every one of you. You look around the room right now and you will, you will judge every single person you see. And I will judge every single one of you. Every single person does that. You can say, not me. I don't judge people. Well, I'm judging you as a liar. <laughs> everyone judges everyone. You don't get it bent and think that judge means condemn. That's not the same thing. You should never condemn someone. That's not your job to condemn people. But you should judge people. If you don't judge anyone ever, you are going to get robbed. Because some people are criminals and they're going to rob you if you're not like, hold your purse tighter so that you have to judge. You should judge. What Paul is saying is, it is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord where I find my verdict. It is the Lord who has the ultimate say at the end. It's, it's only in the gospel that we get the verdict before the performance. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. First, we get the verdict, and then we have the court case. First, you are called innocent, and then you live innocently. Whenever the Bible says that his mercy is new 
every morning. It doesn't mean that new mercy in the morning, he gave you brand new mercy in the morning for yesterday. For all the bad that you did yesterday, gave you brand new forgiveness. No, 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 no. The mercy is new in the morning for today. It's so that as you go through the day, you are living by that mercy. And you are understanding that he declares you innocent. And you're going to live as an innocent one all day. Whether you're an atheist or a Buddhist or a Muslim, whether you have relationship, whatever it is, performance leads to the verdict. If you are good, I mean, think about your marriage. If you're really good and you did the dishes, even though she didn't ask. Your performance, you will get a different kind of verdict if you perform well. If, if you do all the things that your spouse wants you to do, then the verdict is in, is like, I approve of you. In, in the gospel, it's flipped upside down. You get the verdict first. You are good. Now live good. You get the verdict first. The verdict leads to performance. We don't live and, and plead the case because we have to plead the case to win the case so that we can be, we can be called innocent in the end. We're called innocent now, and we live because we're innocent. We live in, in, a, in a way that is contrary to the way the culture lives. Are y'all still with me? Some of y'all look like y'all sleeping. Uh, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus lived as a son that was pleasing. He lived a life that was pleasing. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The moment we believe, the condemnation is gone. There is no condemnation. God will no longer condemn you because you are free from that condemnation because God credits Jesus' perfect performance to us as if it were our own and he adopts us into his family. God can say to us, just as he once said to Christ, you are my kid and I love you. I am well pleased with you. The verdict is in, and now I perform on the basis of that verdict because he loves me and he accepts me. I'm free to fail, but keep trying. I'm free if I fail, when I fail, it's okay. I'm going to keep trying. I don't have to build up my resume anymore because the verdict is already in. I don't have to do things that make me look good. Look at what I did. I don't have to do that anymore. I can do things for the joy of doing them. I can serve other people for the joy of serving them, not so that I can feel good about myself and not so that I can earn some points in heaven. There are no brownie points in heaven. It's all brownies, free brownies, all the free brownies you can eat. No brownie points in heaven. You, you are not earning more things. You, are all, you already have heaven waiting for you. So it's not so that I can fill up the emptiness in my life because I'm already filled. My ego is filled. It is not puffed up, but it's filled up. And, and I don't need any other badge or any other accolade or any other award for myself. My ultimate verdict does not come from my own performance because Jesus went on trial for me. And Jesus went into the courtroom in this unfair trial and he came and he was struck and beaten and put to death as your substitute. He took on the condemnation that we deserve. 
and he faced the trial that should be ours. And, and I just need to ask him to accept me as I am, not as I can be, not as I earn it, not as I do so good that, that he gives me everything and, I, and now I can do it. He, he accepts us as we are and he doesn't leave us there. He calls us to more and more and more. So whenever we understand that he accepts us and loves us exactly as we are, and he actually loves you more than he loves all of the treasure of all of creation, all of the treasure of heaven. He loves you more than that. He finds you more valuable than all the treasure in heaven. How is it that we can still be looking for man's approval? When you have his already, how is it that you can still be struggling with your own approval? How is it that you can still be offended when you're ignored by a person? He's not ignoring you. He loves you. He has given everything for you. How is it that you can still be offended and bothered by what you see in the mirror when he has given everything for you? He finds you precious. The trial is over and the verdict is already in. Let's pray. You know, if, the, if, if you could hear God with your ears right now, what he would say to you is, you are accepted. You are loved. You, my child, are enough. You don't have to work for my love anymore. You already have every bit of it. You are mine. You're going to make it, kid. Pleased with you. I love you. Lord, we thank you so much that though we struggle, though we kick and push against what you're pulling us toward, that you continue to, to chase after us. We thank you for your, your love and your kindness, your mercy. We thank you that you continue to, to show us in your word the places where we are off. And we want to align every part of ourselves up with the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.